a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> Who's weirder, you or me? You just put the law on my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the water. Whatever you do, don't fall Hello and welcome back to Movies for Life. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. And I'm your other co-host, Michelle Egan. And it is that time of year. It is Yay. the end of it, which, thank God. I know everybody Seriously. says that every year and it's like, this was a hard year. And it's like, well, this was actually a hard year. Yeah. So I'm kind of ready for this year to be over. <laughs> but I really don't like the chaos of the end no, of the year. It's no. kind of getting to me a little bit more than usual this year. So I am ready for it to be over too. Yes. But this has been a pretty good year for some movies. So today oh, yeah. we are going to count down our 10 favorites of 2023 each. Uh, we say favorites because we are not movie critics and we don't get to see everything. And there are some yeah. probably glaring emissions that we just haven't been able to see for the really long title is favorites of the movies. We actually got to see of 2023. <laughs> That's of, right. Cause yeah, the there's huge ones stuff. that I, yeah. yeah, that I haven't seen. Like I really wanted to see poor things. It is not yeah. playing in my area. Uh, That's sort of my most anticipated movie of sort of this part of the year. And it's just not playing around here. Uh, Ferrari hasn't opened yet. I no. would be surprised if that would be make the list, but you know, hey, who knows? It could. Um, I haven't seen Wonka. I haven't seen. Napoleon. I don't want to see that. And, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see that. <laughs> I didn't see Oppenheimer yet. I'm not crazy interested in it, on to be honest. But I'll probably I'm sure I'll get to it eventually. And yeah, I mean, I went to pretty much all the ones that I could see that were available to me to see. There are a few that I saw recently that I didn't quite make the list um, that I think were interesting still, but um, yeah, we'll probably talk about a couple of those yeah. later on, but we got discards for sure. We do yeah. have, I only have a handful this year though. I've got five that were just below my 10. Yeah. Just edged out. Yeah. Though I do have a slight cheat. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But you already know about it because... <laughs> I revealed it last night. I know it should have been a surprise, but we had a recording last night for the Patreon for Pod and the Pendulum, and I talked about my cheat already. So anyway, <laughs> so how do we want to do this? Who wants to go first? Well, first of all, we are doing the Bromley rule yes. um, of our list where if someone mentions something, but it's higher up on the other person's list, we will table the conversation until... We get to that person's number. Just keep that in mind. 
Bromley Rule, of course, named after Patrick Bromley of F This yes. Movie and the <laughs> F This Movie pro- podcast. So make sure if you're listening to the F This Movie podcast, if you don't. They're pretty good. They're I like good. them. They've been around a while. <laughs> I love They're, I they're love like them. 600 yep. episodes for you to choose from. Good gravy. Wow. <laughs> I, I, which is just mind-boggling <laughs> to me. So who wants okay. to go first? I'm cool either way. You want me to go first? Sure. Okay. So I'm going to start uh, number 10, obviously. And uh, here's the tagline. Wife to the king, icon to the world, destined for more. Uh, Sofia Coppola's Priscilla. Uh, this was a surprising movie to me. I actually put this into the top 10, like, right before we recorded. Because I do think it is a movie that stuck with me in ways that I didn't expect. If you're looking for the Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie, this is not it. It is. This is a quiet movie. This is an intimate movie. Uh, it is about, obviously, Priscilla Presley, played by a young newcomer named Kylie Spanny, I think is her name. She's Well, she's been in 13 movies, so I guess I'm wrong. But she seems like a newcomer. Um, she's really terrific in this. But it's mostly about just sort of the isolation of being so in the spotlight. Elvis is portrayed as kind of a big kid, you know, someone who never really had a chance to grow into an adult because he became famous so young and so famous so young. So Graceland is kind of like his playground, but she doesn't really get to get out. She doesn't get to have this uh, real life. She's just sort of trapped in this weird fairy tale world. And, you know, some of it's really great and some of it is really lonely. I think the moment that sort of summed up for me what this movie was about, because so much of it is about image. It's about things. It's about details. Um, There's this moment where she's about to give birth to Lisa Marie, but before they go to the hospital, she puts on her fake eyelashes. It's almost chilling in a way because it's so much about image. But it's a fascinating movie. It's an intimate movie. It's a quiet film. The theater-going experience gave me another reason not to really be a big fan of Taylor Swift. Sorry. <laughs> um, the Eras tour, tour was a little loud for it you. Was, yeah, <laughs> the Eras Tour movie was playing through the wall. And <laughs> there was a scene where it was Elvis and Priscilla are like laying in bed. They're having a very quiet conversation and the song and i am not kidding clear as day i knew you were trouble when you walked in was playing through the wall and it was just (laughs) like that's a little on the nose you know (laughs) for for this scene um but anyway uh despite that and uh, you know no offense to the tay tay stands out there uh, I like I, little Tay Tay. Yeah, yeah. Here and there. <laughs> uh, me too. Me too. So I'm, uh, she's very talented and happy for her success. Good for her. But Priscilla, Sofia Coppola is just one of those voices that I think is uh, that she's managed to continue to have such a personal voice all these years. Oh. It's pretty impressive. I definitely think I'd be more interested in that one than I was in the the other Elvis movie that was out recently that I kind of turned off after about 10 minutes. Um, this kind of seems like more my thing. I'll have to yeah. catch up with this one too. I haven't actually seen Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, but one of the criticisms I think I've heard about this is that, oh, this movie was just in response to that movie. Well, 
that doesn't really work when you think about like production schedules. Yeah, and, and, I don't think that know, works. <laughs> it takes a couple of years to get a movie made. I mean, she wrote and directed, produced. She's as much of an auteur as her father ever was. Yeah, absolutely, she is. Yeah, so she's spent a lot of time making this movie, and I don't know if she knew about Baz Luhrmann's movie before she started working on it or not. I don't know, but I don't think this was sort of like meant to be like the antidote to that movie or something like that. I, I kind of call bullshit on that, but <laughs> I do think it's um, a really terrific movie on its own. And one that I think as with most Sofia Coppola movies, people will discover over time. Awesome. All right. So my number 10 is one that I, I kind of like to leave the number 10 slot as just something to highlight that That's I think kinda, needs yeah. see, need some eyes on it. And this is the this is one where the release is kind of on the cusp of 2022-23, but you know, didn't have a wide release until January, so whatever, I'm counting it. Um it's one I found on um Amazon Prime and I was um just really interested by uh, the cast and by the plot. Um, it's a movie called Alice Darling, starring Anna Kendrick. Anna plays uh, the main character of Alice, and she is in a, uh, a psychologically abusive relationship with her boyfriend. And to me, it seems to be one of the most like realistic portrayals of that. Not that I've had any experience with that or anything, but um, like... Priscilla seems like it's a very quiet movie yes, about I was gonna say it sounds more like this would go the, well with Priscilla. Yeah. yeah, like the quiet realism of something like that, something that's not, you know, overblown for a movie's sake. Like this seems like I don't want to make assumptions about the creators either, but it seems like it was written and made by people who have actually experienced it because it just has that feeling of it to where the abuse is all about like control and um, manipulation and just it's mostly the way that um, Anna Kendrick plays it and just shows those quiet moments where you can see how nervous and how scared she is like there's um, times when she uh, when she's alone usually she'll go in the bathroom and she she pulls out her hair mm. as um, like one of the compulsions that she has because of she's in this relationship and Basically, the story is like she goes um, on a vacation to like this cabin uh, by a lake with her friends and like doesn't tell him about it. So she's kind of nervous about that. And she's like trying to work through that. And her friends don't know about uh, like exactly the the depth of like the kind of relationship that she's in. And it's kind of about her learning internally that she needs to do something about it and get out for herself. She sees uh, something about a, a missing girl where where they go on their vacation and she kind of becomes obsessed with like this um this missing girl in the area and like going on the searches for her as if she kind of sees like that could be her you know in the future is what you get from it and what i love too is that even when there's like a big confrontation between uh the boyfriend and her friends and everything again it just feels like this is how it would actually play out it wouldn't be something like so emotional and everything you know what i mean it just if it, it just it felt the, mm -hmm. the realism of this is what really got to me and um the way that she portrays this character it's very sad but um it's all again it just it seems very real and i was just very impressed with uh the way that this story was told definitely one to to check out 
What was that called again? Alice Darling. Alice Darling. Okay, I will check that out. All right. I have a feeling my next one is higher on your list. Also on the cusp. It's technically listed as 2022. Sisu. That's the one I had to bump. <laughs> oh, it's the one you had to bump. I know. All right, so. <laughs> I, I wanted, it was on there at first, but yeah. I almost bumped it because I assumed it was going to be on there. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so by uh, Jomari Hallander, who also directed the fabulous Rare Exports yeah. the Christmas Tale. Uh, so this is like a guy in, what it was it? It says the Lapland. Is that Finland? Finland, wasn't it? I thought. Yeah. So it's like the end of World War II. He left the war. He's mining for gold. All of a sudden, this group of Nazis shows up, and he basically just starts killing them all. And it's fantastic. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And it's it's sort of a it's sort of a Rambo kind of thing. He doesn't speak. I don't hear barely. He doesn't speak. But this movie is outlandish, very over the top. But when I realized what it was, I went, oh, I get it. This is like sort of a comedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? For real. It's, it's, <laughs> I think when I realized that, it's ultra violent, so much gore, so much blood, but so much fun. We kind of mentioned this one already, I guess, in our horror up to now mm. uh, episode. But it's not really a horror movie. It's an action movie. But... That but it's pretty bloody and violent the, and the cool kills where, and everything. Yeah, the, yeah. The scene where he figures out how to breathe underwater <laughs> is like, one what? of the greatest things. I know. And but I mean, there's just like this sort of like the part where the four women with the machine guns. And Hell stuff, yeah! That's those, what I was just gonna say. Those kinds of shots. I mean, just got those great sort of good, the bad, and the ugly kind of feeling shots. It's just. Badass is what this movie can be described as, I think. And it's one that I hope people will uh, seek out because it's just incredibly entertaining. I went into it not knowing a thing about it. I didn't even realize that it was the director of one of my favorite Christmas horror movies. You know, I didn't have any clue to that. Then it just sort of started and I was drawn in immediately and then just it gets crazier and crazier and crazier until there's a scene with a pickaxe and an airplane that just makes me go, this is awesome. This is, awesome. <laughs> this is just awesome. So Sisu got to check yeah. that one out if you haven't. And I know you loved this one too. I you, did. I love this a lot. Yeah. This was one of those where it was like, that's kind of exactly what I needed to see right then. Just something just like, balls to the wall nuts and fun and it knows what kind of movie it is you know it knows it, is. it, 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 it is. that's why it, it you definitely can watch it as a comedy because it's it's definitely having fun with itself in that regard i would yeah. say yeah i wish that he had maybe had a little bit of a bigger budget kind of sandbox to play with you know um mm. with i'd love to see what he could do with something that is on that broad scale because i think he's really got totally. it in him to do it oh yeah my next one is one that i was not expecting to like as much as i did but then everybody else and even you told me like hey this is actually pretty good um and that is no hard feelings hey my number <laughs> eight is no hard feelings right on <laughs> yeah. i figured you would have it on your list because okay normally i am not one for like 
a certain type of humor like does not work for me like goofy like absurdist I don't know it's just it's not it's not my thing and there is a little bit of that in here but there there's is. also it, it never felt like the kind that annoys me <laughs> right. it's <laughs> like, got real move. heart to it so it does um so it's Jennifer Lawrence being just kind of the one of the best roles I've ever seen her in um and yeah, everyone talks about the um, the main part of the movie is her like getting into a naked fight um, on the beach, and that's incredibly impressive, I must say. <laughs> and I enjoyed that part, but the part with their both of their characters, her, and then like this, how old is he? Like eighteen, eighteen yeah, or nineteen? Like nineteen, yeah. Like it's just a, a shy little kid with um, like parents that are a little bit overprotective, um, overprotective. Yeah. yeah and it seemed like they have been his whole life and so he's not really experienced a whole lot she has there's like this whole thing where they hire her to basically like seduce him or be friends with him and get him to experience things like with girls <laughs> like they're not yeah. terribly specific but i think oh they, they wanted to get laid yeah that, that's they, what it comes down to they get it yeah and she's like but it's like i liked it because what how i saw it was like it's a growing up story for the both of them even though like she's in her 30s she still kind of seems like she's in a place in her life where she's kind of stuck even though like she has a house and she has a job or whatever but she doesn't feel like a full adult yet and I think, like, through this experience with this, what's his name? Percy. By the way, Matthew Broderick as his dad is just freaking hilarious. It's when hilarious. I first saw, when I saw him, I was like, what? <laughs> the, her experience, like, with this kid, um, they, they both kind of grow up in, in a way. And that's where I think a lot of the heart comes from. And, like, their relationship is very kind of natural and real. The, the way that it progresses and how it ends up. So I, I really, really enjoyed it. Plus, I, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it was, as far as a comedy like this goes, it's got the raunchy elements at times. Oh, yeah. But it's just also really sweet. It's just a it really yeah. nice, the relationships feel real. I mean, that part where he sits at the piano and he plays Maneater, not <laughs> yes. really realizing, yeah. he thinks it's like this beautiful, sweet, nice gesture, and she's listening to the words going, Oh my God, yeah. what am I doing here? That's pretty incredible stuff. Um, but then, you know, she gets punched in the throat while she's at the party. <laughs> she right gets after pepper that. sprayed and, so, and it, yeah, I mean, it's just riding so on fun. the hood of a car on fire and everything. Like, is yeah. it, normally that kind of stuff like would annoy me, but for some reason it works, it works in this, this movie one. for me. Yeah. yeah. It's probably the comedy of the year for me. Uh, it's. Yeah. It's a it's a really ter- terrific one. I think a lot of people have been discovering this one and realizing how good it is too. Yeah. Uh, so it's been fun to see that because it kind of did not great, but then when it showed up on Netflix or somewhere like that, yeah, people went, "Oh man, this is a pretty good movie." <laughs> yeah. <So it's, laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I really was happy to see that. So, and of course, my my number eight then was No Hard Feelings. So we're on to your number eight. Back. Let's try. Back to me. Okay. Yeah. Um. There's actually a few horror-ish things on my list. Um, This next one was one that I just had such a blast with. It was so great to go back in the theater and get back into this franchise. 
So my number eight is Evil Dead Rise. All right. <laughs> Not on my list, but it's on my horror list. I like this one a lot. Yeah, it was a good movie. Go ahead. You did a separate horror list? I did. I have some I mean, horror on here too, though. I mean, yeah. don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not <laughs> that much of a snob. No, this was just, like I said, just great to get back into this uh, franchise, especially getting to see it in the theater and with that that kind of cold open and then the title sequence. Great cold open. The the title where the like the oh, title yeah. is huge and the music kicks in and you're just like, Yeah, oh, we're back in evil dead world and it's it's a completely different world than they've done before, um, in the franchise. It you know it being Evil Dead Rise taking place in a high rise apartment building in this one mostly in this one apartment with this one family. And it, it's got all the same kind of stuff that you love from from Evil Dead, like the absurdity of the kills and the violence and stuff. And it's also like very mean, but in a fun way. And it's yeah. a little bit just dis- it was so disturbing to me, the fact that all this stuff was happening with like such a nice family that they get you to love because it's kind of like a atypical family too. like the mom's a tattoo artist and everything so it's a really cool family that you can relate to and love and then like all this horrible shit happens so (laughs) that kind of that kind of sucked but still like just i had i had so much fun with this and the the final sequence when we get down into the the parking garage and everything and what happens to the family and when the chainsaw comes out i mean yeah come on like what more do you want from (laughs) an evil dead movie this was this was it's actually it's very very well done absolutely it keeps like all the same stuff that you recognize like the style of filmmaking from this franchise is all still here and it's um translated very well like it's still an evil dead movie but it's a, a totally different story totally different thing that they've done before and it's just, they did such a great job with this. And I want to see more Evil Dead <laughs> after yeah. this. Yeah, Evil Dead has got to be the most consistent, like, major franchise. Every single one of them is good. Um, yeah. Good to great. I mean, even the TV show. I mean, everything yeah. Was, oh, yeah. It was, everything with it has just been fantastic there's not a clunker in the bunch and so it's great to see that still going and to see one like this and from what i've heard there's every intention to keep keep that train rolling so i hope so i hope so i will be there for it all yeah Yeah. they keep going like this absolutely it's so good all right my next one is netflix movie uh, directed by todd haynes may december Higher Um, on my list. Higher on your list. So we will come back to that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So you're on again. Dang it. (laughs) You get to talk a lot today. I don't want to talk a lot. Okay. Well, this one is sad. But uh, okay. Um, I wanted to keep the the documentaries separate, like, because in my brain, like, the documentaries are different than, like, actual narrative film. But um, there's two that... I just absolutely had to have like two of my favorite things that I watched this year. So my next one is a documentary um, that, again, yes, you can find on Netflix and it's called Take Care of Maya. You told me about this. I haven't done it yet because I think it's going to be a lot for me. If you're a parent yeah. with a sick kid, yeah, <laughs> it's it's going to be a lot Which for am, you. Yeah. So. <laughs> so I don't want to give away too much of the story, so I have to be careful here. So basically what is, is Maya is a child. She has like a very rare um, disorder. I'm not even going to 
try to remember what it is just like something that only affects females like at a certain age where she has just like terrible pain and like her feet like turn inwards she can't walk or whatever and um so her family they they do find a doctor that can help them and they go through a whole course of treatment to help her out and it involves giving her very high doses of ketamine and like oh, actually geez, putting yeah. her into a, a, a coma to help and that it works or whatever, you know, so very, it's a reputable doctor, you know, that put her on this. Um, but about a year later, she relapses and um, they take her to another hospital. And when they, they try to explain what her condition is and what it requires, they, the doctors and the nurses there like suspect medical uh, abuse. Because just because they're giving such high doses of a very dangerous sure. drug, like I said, I don't want to give away too much, but th- basically they do uh, like eventually take her like away from the custody of her parents, like um, c- because they don't, you know, believe that she's being treated correctly, and then it just kind of spirals from there. It's a very, very sad story. It's about you know families that are just like w- willing to do anything for their kids, and then families that won't give up when they've been treated unfairly i'm trying not to say say too much because like, there's one big thing that i don't want to um want to give away that it was what makes this just like so so sad to me i was it had me like bawling by the end of this it's a very powerful story about about family and resilience and, and fighting back so um i would definitely recommend this to people to check out what I wanted to do with the documentaries that I watched this year was kind of learn about stories that I had never heard of before. And this was this was a big one. This was like a, a big highlight of it. So because like, mostly when I was watching documentaries before, it all be like true crime stuff, like stuff that I already knew before. So I was like, I'm going to seek out like people and real human stories, you know, that I've never even heard of before. And this the, and the, also just the way that this was put together. There are other documentaries that I watched where the story was compelling, but the way that it was edited and put together, just it, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't really work for me. Like the, the approach was a little off. This one is like, it is spot on, like the, the way that they put this together. So yes, <laughs> check it out. I, I will. Because uh, this one is one I put on my list immediately, but was like, I don't know if I can do that just now. Uh, but I will. <laughs> I promise. I promise. Okay, my next one. What are we on? Number. That was my seven. Yeah. Okay. So this is number six. Um, is uh, past lives. This is sort of making it onto a lot of lists like this. This is really a wonderful little movie again it's one that sort of snuck up on me at first i was like i I don't know it might end up and it ended up just sort of staying sort of right dead center in this list for most of the year it's just simple very simple sort of beautifully shot constructed movie and it's that's all that it needs to be uh (laughs) you have these uh childhood friends anora and haesung who grow up in korea together uh, South Korea, and then um, her family, Nora's family, emigrates to Canada, and he stays in Korea. So it sort of follows her life for a little while. Uh, she gets married. She moves to New York. She has this 
whole life that she's created. But then Soon comes and visits in, her in New York. And they have this sort of simple sort of sightseeing tour. I'm, I'm not selling this movie, but I mean, <laughs> that's it's a, a hard to sell this movie because it's just about people interacting. And it's just about the connections that these two people have after being apart for 15 years or more. And it starts out with people sort of observing them at a bar. So you have the two, you know, Korean people, the man and the woman having a conversation. And then there's this white guy sort of sitting to the side. And while these two are having this intense conversation, you hear the people like imagining what, what, what's being said. Say, well, I bet those two are married and the other guy there, he's just like along for the ride. You know, it's that kind of a thing, but it's <laughs> yeah. actually not the case at all. It's so simple. That's the thing about it. It's just like so beautifully observed in just this way that is not flashy. It's just about connections um, over time and, you know, how we change from then to now. But those things, Connections can still exist, and I don't know. Really simple, beautiful, little movie. And I don't know what else to really say about it, and I know <laughs> right. I didn't sell it at all, but I really hope that people will check it out because it's well worth your time. It's um, a terrific movie. Past yeah, lives. I definitely wanted, I wanted to, uh, to check this one out. I didn't get a chance to, but yeah, I definitely will now. All right. Okay. My next one, I'm not sure that I'll have much to say about either. One thing about me is that I sometimes have a terrible memory about things, and I just might know that I, I like something. Um, my next one is another horror movie, a Spanish one. Ah, it is not on my list. <laughs> no? It is just uh, outside my list. It is number 11. 11. Aw, come on. Yeah, that's, that's the one I switched out for Priscilla. <laughs> okay. Then my number six is When Evil Lurks. Which this was like painful to not have on the list. I, I love movies like this where like you don't really hear that much about them. Or at least I didn't because I'm not really like online or anything. But you just hear like a couple people being like, holy shit, this was really good. So you're like, okay, cool. I'll check it out. And it was on Shutter. Yep. Right, yeah. Yep. Just kind of sat down and watched one day and was like, just immensely surprised. Like, excited. Like I don't really remember like the whole story of it, but it's mostly just it's like two brothers in like this remote village where there's some kind of like, I don't get what the whole story is. It's like a demon possession thing that like wants to give birth to itself. Yeah, that's right. It's a demon possession yeah. movie, but it's not. It's so not like an exorcist rip right it's so like every all the other ones are but this one it's is very different from that all. yeah it's so different from that and it's which you kind of uh, get from like the first yeah. like rotten i guess they call them yeah uh, that you see like this the guy the the makeup effects are amazing in this movie yeah, that that guy that's really laying in the bed brutal. that's like huge and disgusting looking yeah. he's got like stuff wrong with his skin and everything so it's basically just about them trying to, like, take care of this problem before, like, the demon, like, it seems like it's an infection that they're trying not to let spread it because it's, it, it spreads is. very easily. <laughs> I, I need to watch. What. I need to watch it again. <laughs> there, there are parts of this where it's so shocking. There's a sequence yeah. with a dog and a little I know. girl. 
that had me just major that's like a fear of mine right (laughs) (laughs) but uh the suspense like in that one shot when it's the girl and the dog in the the foreground or whatever you're supposed to be paying attention to what's going on like with the adults but i was like oh my god you because you know it's coming you're just kind of like waiting for when that's that's so brilliantly done and even though it's like on the poster the the part with the woman like holding the axe. <laughs> yeah. I was not expecting I wasn't that, for that to either. play that. No. Um, that way. <laughs> that was very shocking. No. The whole thing, yeah. like with the kids in the the, the auditorium in the in the school or so whatever. Weird. The, it's, it's creepy and yeah. yeah. And you know, like that whole thing that they set up that's supposed to like exercise the demons, then it Yeah. It's <laughs> so great. I I saw this in a limited theatrical run. I was sort of tense mm-hmm. from beginning to end. I didn't realize how tense I was until <laughs> it sort of ended. We've been talking about horror over the past couple of years has become more fun again. This is not a good mm-hmm. example of that. This is this is intense horror. I, it is fun <laughs> in a way, it's but it's fun. not but it's not in in like in like a barbarian way, <laughs> you know. Right. It's, you know, I consider it fun if it makes me kind of have the kind of reactions that this yeah. one made me have, you know, like those unconscious yeah. things where you're like, whoa, shit. Like that's that's when it's fun. That's when it's like super effective to me. That's when that's it's like, right. oh, that's right. Yeah. This is why horror fucking rules sometimes is because they yeah. can do stuff like this yeah. that really it, gets it, to you. And now I really want to watch it again because there's like so much with the plot and like some of the characters yeah. that I'm forgetting. And I'm again, not, yeah, probably not selling this well either if you haven't seen it. But you, trust me, you want to you want to see this. Yeah. If you're a horror person and you'll love you're, it. If you hated exorcist believer as much as i did <laughs> you'll love this right on. sorry i i usually try and stay positive because you know there's a lot of negativity on the internet and we're the cure um but uh we said we weren't yeah, going to bring this one up that's true but uh when evil lurks is it's the exorcism movie of the year but there's another one that's pretty darn good yes there is that one's a little different though too all right <laughs> Um, so number five, this is one of the more divisive and I think misunderstood, I think, movies of the year. Um, Ari Aster's Bo is Afraid. A lot so of people hate this movie so much. It's over long. It's not interesting. Oh. It's like, whatever. Yes, I realize this movie could be subtitled Ari Aster has mommy issues. Um <laughs> Which we already knew because we've seen his other movies. Everyone, I think, pretty much agrees that the first, like, 45 minutes or so of this movie is brilliant. Which I think is fair. Because um, it starts out with a guy in a psychiatrist's office, you know. And you think it's going to be just sort of him dealing with that sort of stuff. Joaquin Phoenix here as Bo. What happens is he goes outside and essentially... All the projections of his fears that are inside his head um, are externalized. So everything that is frightening to him exists in the real world. And that's sort of what the entire movie is. People complain that it's very long, which it is. It's probably a little longer than it needs to be. But um, I think each one of the sort of vignettes of the film explores sort of different aspects of this guy's psyche. And like I said, everything's sort of 
externalized in some way. It's it's sort of he goes and he lives with uh, he goes with a couple uh, played by Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan. That is kind of crazy and has this <laughs> like he's being surveilled on on their camera system. <laughs> he sees himself on the TV and stuff and he kind of freaks out. There's someone who lives out in their trailer who's kind of nuts and is trying to kill him. And okay. it's a very, very strange movie. There's a amazing sequence with Parker Posey. Love her. E- yeah. And then uh, Patty Lapone plays his mother. It's a wild, wild movie. Um, there's a lot of sort of divisiveness about this movie. But me, I was just like, this is incredible. For me, this is my favorite Ari Aster movie to date. Really? Okay. Yeah. And okay. it's not really a horror film. It's got some horror elements to it. I kind of wonder if people went into this expecting another Hereditary or Midsummer, but it it's didn't not, look like that at all. <laughs> it's neither of those movies at all. It's very funny, but the humor is it's just got this sort of deadpan kind of humor to it. I think it could probably do with being it's 179 minutes. It could oh, probably wow. <laughs> it could probably be more like two hours and 20 and be fine, you know, and get everything across. <laughs> That's still so across. long. <laughs> but it's um, a really interesting movie and it sort of like goes from, like I said, it goes from vignette to vignette in a way where he's just sort of wandering through these different scenarios. There's this one where he's like watching a play out in the middle of the woods, but then the, it like comes to life like he's in it and has sort of a Wizard of Oz kind of feel to it. I think Joaquin Phoenix gives, we all know he's a great actor, but this is one of his most sort of nuanced and sort of wild performances that kind of goes all over the place. Um, He's dealing with a lot of stuff in this. And, you know, you kind of feel like maybe Ari Aster's working through some shit while he's making this movie, you know, but I feel all of his movies kind of feel like that. (laughs) Yeah, they do. I feel a little bit vindicated. John Waters named this his favorite movie of the year. So, hey, there you um, go. which is which is great. <laughs> and John Waters has good taste in Christmas movies, too. You know, uh, Christmas Evil being his favorite movie, uh, Christmas movie. There you but, go. Um, you guys are like besties now. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, anyway, <laughs> but it's a it's a fascinating movie. And I think that I really hope people kind of come around on it. I don't know if they will, but that's OK. You know, it, there are a lot of great divisive movies out there, and I think this is one of them. Right on. Okay, for my next one, number five, we're getting to my top five now. We can go back to one you mentioned before because my number five is May, December. Okay, great. Mostly, though, um, I would say this is probably the best movie of the year in terms of performances. Yeah. Like, that's what I was fascinated with the most. I mean, this is a, this is loosely based on the story of Mary Kay Letourneau, which if you're kind of our age, like, we, we grew up with that story. So I really you, grew up yeah. with that story because yeah, that you did. happened, <laughs> in, happened in, my, in your area. It, it did. It happened in, in where I live, in the area, I should say. Not like in the school district that I uh, went to or anything right. like that. But, you know, my wife grew up in... Purdy, which has the Purdy Women's Correctional Facility, uh, where Mary Kay Letourneau was incarcerated. Uh, So we've got Julianne Moore as the um, Mary Kay character. She's, uh, what's her name here? Gracie. 
as the uh, older woman who um, had a relationship with a 13-year-old boy and Natalie Portman. So this is like, what, 20-something years later? Yeah, after that, mm-hmm. Natalie Portman comes to their hometown and to, to stay with them. She's an actress that is going to be uh, portraying Gracie uh, in a movie. And so she's there to kind of like study her and you know get her mannerisms down and everything like you know doing the actressy thing but she gets really kind of into it and she thinks she's understanding this person and when the rug gets pulled there's a line where the rug just gets completely pulled out from under her and it's one of the brilliant moments that I've seen this year I know it's so subtle but it's so absolutely so powerful but yeah like I said this is one to watch the story is great it's interesting I remember the story being very confusing to people because the media would portray it one way but when you really look at like what it was like this was absolutely she's a horrible person you know, <laughs> like that's how we should have always seen her. But it was always portrayed as if like, no, they really are in love. And it's like, no, right. <laughs> you know. Well, and, there's but- a line where, you know, Charles Melton, I think, as as the uh, Joe is yeah. so great. And yes. he has sort of a, a thankless role in this movie in a way. Cause I, that one, well, that one scene in the bedroom that, with the two of them. Oh, he's so yeah. good. Where he just says, but I was 13 years old. And she said, well, you seduced me. It's like, I know. But I was 13 years old, you know? I know. (laughs) Oh, it's pretty incredible. And then there's a scene between him and Natalie Portman's character. Yes. That's just like, oh, that one really got to me. It's like, oh my gosh, she's a horrible person too. Mm -hmm. I mean, this poor guy, I mean, has had just everyone trying to take advantage of him for his whole life. He never got to have a life. He never did. Yeah. Uh, The two of them, like everybody is great, but Natalie Portman and Julian Moore, they just like, they freaking kill it. And they just completely embody these people. I mean, there's a part that's just Natalie Portman going through her lines, I guess, or it's just like a a single shot of her. I've never seen her do something like that. She's fantastic. (laughs) This is such a fascinating movie just to watch these actors just really do what they do best is really what was fascinating me the most about this. It was, it was just so brilliant to watch. I wasn't expecting it to be at all, but it completely surprised me how much I, I loved this, how good it was. I mean, I love Todd Haynes. <laughs> yeah. Carol. I mean, Carol is a great movie. Uh, safe is another uh, great one. Too, safe with, is. Um, yeah. And Julianne uh, Moore. Yeah. Far from heaven. Yeah. Um, Velvet Goldmine. I didn't see that one yet. Yeah. Vel- Velvet Goldmine is great. That was the first one where I heard of him. I hadn't seen Safe yet. Uh, I didn't see Safe until I think last year for the first time. I I really need to see Carol. Yes, you do. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I consider myself a fan. Even after only the few movies that I've seen of his. This was just remarkable. I was really, really impressed. I think um, Julianne Moore, we've always known she's great. Oh, yeah. Natalie Portman, I think because of maybe her stuff in star Wars and things like that. I think people take her for granted because I think she's really a much more interesting actress than people give her credit for. Yes. Of course she black Swan, winner for black Swan, <laughs> but, 
but I think even that, I think some people are like, oh, that was a fluke. That was Darren Aronofsky's. I don't think so. No. I don't think so. And what she's doing here, it's kind of like what Julianne Moore was doing to some extent in Boogie Nights, a good actress playing a bad actress. I, <laughs> it, it, it takes a lot to be able to do that. You have to be uh-huh. a really terrific actress to play a bad actress. And I think that is part of what's so funny. But she just nails this sort of method actor bullshit so beautifully. <laughs> right. And the thing is, I'd actually like to watch this again, having that in mind, because I think I'd find it a lot funnier. Because the first time I watched it, I would think I was going into it with the whole, you know, the Letourneau idea and all that stuff. But I think there's a lot of really uh, underhanded humor in this movie. It's like that dark comedy, like uncomfortable, funny, like you're not sure if you're allowed to laugh at certain parts of it. But I think you, you are. Yeah, I think so, too. It's a it's it's a really terrific movie. All right. So we're into our top. Four now, I guess, right? Yeah. So my next one is a movie I know you have not seen, though you'd like to, you've told me. Directed by your dad. Uh, oh, yeah. Killers of the Flower I didn't, Moon. I didn't get to um, that one. Yeah, yeah Martin Scorsese. <laughs> um, now this, of course, what everyone talks about with Killers of the Flower Moon is it's long. Yeah, it is. But the thing is... When you're in the hands of Martin Scorsese and Thelma Schoonmaker and these actors who are from top to bottom terrific, you don't feel the time like you might with the less capable filmmaking team. Sure. This is the movie that I'm watching this and I'm like, I feel like this is an important movie. And you know that going in. So I think that can make it challenging sometimes. But the thing is... It's just really good. It's it's just so well made. I think Lily Gladstone is really the star of this movie. She's just remarkable as this character who or this real life person, I should say, who slowly discovers that her husband is trying to kill her. It's so sad, but at the same time, it's so re- uh, revelatory of what I think human nature is. It's like you're going to feed on the weak to your advantage if you have that kind of evil in your heart. DiCaprio's character is complicated. One of the things that the movie is not willing to do is to say this person is just a cartoon character. There's a moment in this movie where you can see that he feels guilt for what he's doing, and I'm not going to give away what that is. And some people were like, how dare you give this person a conscience? Well, because it's real. People are not just black and white. They are many shades of gray, right? And one of the things I think the movie conveys as well as it can is that these two people were actually in love, even if there was this um, horrible thing going on. De Niro gives one of his best performances ever, which is saying something (laughs) considering his career. Already, Um, yeah. (laughs) DiCaprio plays the biggest lunkhead you can imagine. I don't know if he's ever played one quite someone quite so stupid in his life. Um, Jesse Plemons is uh, terrific in a small role. Then a lot of people in small roles, you know, John Lithgow, Brendan Fraser, people like that. But the Osage cast is what makes this movie really special, I think. There's some terrific Native American actors in this movie whose names are not as well known, of course, but are remarkable 
And most of them are non-actors. And that's one of the things that Scorsese has done well in the past and does well here. And in the end, um, there's a powerful commentary about true crime and about who gets to tell these stories. That is Scorsese giving a little bit of self-indictment, I think. And it's really, really powerful. Um, Like I said, it's a long movie, but... Uh, Roger Ebert used to say, I know I quote Roger Ebert a lot because he had some good things to say. One of the things he said was a great movie is never long enough and a bad movie is always too long. So this one is one of those movies where there's there's even more to the story than they were able to convey in this time frame. So terrific piece. And I think you'll like it when you get to seeing it. I feel bad not seeing it. It's a dad movie. I know. Uh but uh, I'll get to it eventually. I just uh, for a long movie, it's hard to find the time. That's like a whole afternoon. It is. It thing. is. I had so to it's hard to find day. the time. Yeah. I had to take so. a whole day to go see it, but it was one that was uh, worth it. Yeah, I'll get to it as soon as I can. I think there are only so many opportunities left to see a Scorsese movie in the theater, and so I wanted to to take yeah. that opportunity while I could. That's true. And, I didn't think about that. And the thing is, the thing is <laughs> Scorsese right now is making every movie like it's his last. <laughs> True, <laughs> and he did the same thing with the Irishman. Yeah, yeah. So it's like if you did that, very much felt like a last was, movie. Yeah. It did, and the, and it and it could have been if this was if if Irishman was his last movie, it would have been a great capper. Then mm-hmm. you see Killers of the Flower Moon, and you go, if this is his last movie, this is what a way to end it. You know, I mean, it's because <laughs> there's just something so appropriate about the way it ends. That makes you think this is his statement. This is a this is what he really wants to say. Okay. Yeah. So I hope we get a lot more movies from him. But he's well, also yeah. in his eighties <laughs> and he's and directing is a lot of work. So who knows? I love that he's sort of proving Tarantino wrong because you know Tarantino's like, oh, people get old and they start making bad movies. No. Yeah. Tell <laughs> that to Martin Scorsese. But anyway, you just see a master at work at this point and it's magical i'm gonna have a lot of scorsese catching up that i'm gonna be doing here pretty soon with new ones and old ones that brian gifted me a couple of movies that i are still on my uh need to see list of his filmography all right number four this is another one where i'm just like breaking all kinds of my own rules um for these kinds of lists because this one is a miniseries this is the one i totally forgot to put on my list this is what i had to bump uh cc for because i totally forgot to add this and it was like one of the best most favorite things that i had a lot of fun watching um someone that we have given a lot of love to already on the podcast mike flanagan's newest series the fall of the house of usher loved every minute of this it was about a week after it premiered that I finally got to sit down and watch it. And then I was just obsessed. It might be my favorite it's, Am I, yeah. uh, of the, seri- it's, of the series, yeah. at least. Of the series. It's hard to pick. Mine will probably always be Midnight Mass, just, uh, just because sure. I, I, <laughs> something about that one just really speaks to me on a personal level. But gosh, this is a really great one. I love this one, too. I was so impressed. I mean, it's called The Fall of the House of Escher, and like the kind of base story is that, but the way that they incorporate like so many other Poe works 
so seamlessly throughout the whole series. I don't even remember how many episodes this was. Eight-ish? I don't know. But the way, like, so much of Poe's works were fit into the story um, in ways that made sense within the story, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, they didn't feel, like, shoehorned in there or anything. They made it to where, like, it fit in with whatever person's, the Usher family that they were trying to tell. Like, they made it work. They made it fit and made it modern. And it just, uh, it worked so well. To make Poe relevant now is not easy. And I think this was pretty brilliant to tie it in with the whole opioid epidemic. Because, I mean, obviously, Poe was addicted to the opiate of his time. Uh, He was a morphine addict. Uh, But uh, Frank Langella probably would have been fine as Usher. But it's really kind of a boon to the show that he got let go and Bruce Greenwood was brought in because Greenwood is so good in this. It's just like, how was he not cast as this role from the beginning? This is perfect role for him. Mm. And, and he's been part of the Flanagan verse for a while, but he's been good in everything. But yeah, this was just like, it's a new level. level. Yeah. He and um, Carlo Gugino are the, the stars of this. They just, they kill it. Yeah. And, the, what is that um, speech that he gives about lemonade <laughs> or something? Lemons. Uh, the lemon speech like, is just brilliant. It's I mean, it's, brilliant. it's one of the... <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, it's a quote-unquote Flanagan monologue. Sure. But it's different than a lot of the other ones. Because like in Midnight Mass, the monologuing is very introspective. It's about um, the big questions of faith and spirituality. And here, you know, it's a very different kind of monologue. It's very much about just sort of the manipulation of, of of image companies. And and yeah, uh, in terms of the whole series, there's like, there's too much to like get into like here, but I just, I I loved it. Bringing back like all of Flanagan's, cast of people that he uses over and over again playing very different characters and just still absolutely killing it and being horrible people that you love <laughs> mm-hmm. they're they're so yeah. good at it like madeline usher honestly is like she's like one of the worst but i love her <laughs> so much like there's a part of her like i respect her like to a point <laughs> yeah but at the same time she's just like purely manipulation yeah you know she is uh, this is probably the bloodiest thing he's done maybe ever they don't hold back on some of those scenes he's not afraid to to kill his darlings either like a certain character by the end was like i oh i totally forgot that that was gonna have to happen oh that's just that's heartbreaking but he he does it so well that's another one that I think we could do like a whole like we midnight could. mass type episode yeah. on. But yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I've actually watched it a couple times. I need to. I need to go back. Um, okay, my number three is one. Also, of sorry, three. Carla Gugino mm-hmm. in lingerie. Oh gosh, that that was great. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Speaking of needing a minute, there, my next movie, my number three, uh, was one of the first I saw this year, and it was. Um, I never thought that I would want to crawl around on all fours with a leash around my neck number three um if only if only if mia goth is holding the other end um (laughs) infinity pool brandon cronenberg's latest and okay i had you pegged wrong then you had me pegged wrong oh this is your number three 
I've seen this twice now. Uh, I saw it in the theatrical version, which was the cut R-rated version. Uh, and then I managed to finally get my hands on the uncut version, which uh, isn't that different. A couple more shots of uh, anatomy. But um, it was... <laughs> <laughs> But the first time I watched that, I was like, what the hell is going on? Um, but when it becomes clear what's happening, it's really something. So what it is, Alexander Skarsgård and his wife go on vacation in this. It's not a real country. It's a fake country. Yeah. Uh, there's It's sort of a sci-fi conceit to this movie, but it's sort of tropical. And But they are out one night. They get drunk. They accidentally kill a guy. Hit and run. They get caught. But it turns out that in this country, the penalty for really any kind of major crime is the death penalty. However, if you pay, if you're rich enough, you can have a double of you created that will get executed in your place. Now, after Alexander Skarsgård's character gets pulled into this web of this group of people who have all had this happen to them. They've all committed these crimes. Well, the thing is, now there's no consequences. So when there's no consequences, you will do whatever you want. Uh And (laughs) so they do whatever they want. And it is this sort of exploration of... What would you do if, and it's, it's, it's looking at a lot of things like class, obviously, because it's only people that can afford to do this who sure. are going to do this. So they're all rich people. They're all tourists sort of taking advantage of this country. It's like a place where they can go to play before they just go back to their lives. Yeah. It, there's just so much going on with this movie. I know I've talked about it already a little bit on a previous episode, but Mia Goth, she was great in... X and Pearl and everything. God, I love her in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I cannot wait for Maxine. I know. Because it just seems like she just keeps getting better and she was already great. I also think that Brandon Cronenberg, yeah, there's certain things that have uh, similarities to David Cronenberg as far as you know, body horror, sci-fi, different things like that. But he's got a really unique voice too, I think it's not just David Cronenberg Mark II. It's something he's, he's, really. He's unique. doing his own thing. Yeah, and I, I mean, he, one of the things that he's talking about with this movie is sort of having to live in the shadow of a famous parent. Yeah, is is in this movie, and I think that's it's. I mean, I know it's his father-in-law in the movie itself, but I mean, close enough. I mean, you can read between <laughs> the lines there. Sure. This is one that's really stuck with me all year long. I'm just a, becoming a big fan of David Cronenberg. I've like, or I'm sad, sorry, <laughs> slipped it up. Uh, Brandon <laughs> Cronenberg. Um, I think all three of his movies have been you know, antiviral. Is uh, his first film is oh, is pretty good. Uh, Possessor is great. Yeah, and I then, liked Possessor a lot. And then this one. So this one might be my favorite. Uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to watch Possessor again to be honest. But just really great stuff, really unique. And one of the things that I was thinking in the beginning was, did they really kill his double? Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, I don't know if you really know. I mean, and by the end of the movie, I think he's wondering that himself. Am, am I me or am I 
Yeah. One of these copies. And, you know, what does that mean? What effect does that have on all of us? And yeah, one of the scariest sequences is when they're just after riding all of home this, in the uh, bus, riding home. And they're just talking about the most mundane things about when they get back to their after lives. everything they did. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter out. to them. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is one that I think I'll probably be revisiting. Maybe more than some of the others on my list, to be honest, just because it's one that I find so compelling, uh, the ideas that are infused in it, you know? It's one that I need to revisit. I've still only seen it the once. I just bought it not too long ago, so um, I do need to watch it again because it's one of those ones where it's like, I, I know I loved it and I know I was fascinated by it, but I don't quite get it. I need a little bit more time to like work through it in my head what what i feel about it what i think it's it's saying i knew this was going to be high up on your list i thought it was going to be higher okay oh really now i'm oh. now i'm wondering now what your other one intrigued. well now i know what a couple of them are <laughs> sure but hey how does that work there are only two spots left because <laughs> you're a cheater you're yeah, a dirty I did. cheater I did. <laughs> okay That's so okay. what's your number it. three Number three. Okay, so there were two kind of similar documentaries that came out this year. This was my favorite of them. This was one that was far, far more intriguing to me and kind of helped me discover, rediscover, figure out my true love for this person. Uh, My number three is Sly. (laughs) Yeah. This was so much better than the other one you're referring to. I know. And I watched it. That one was just so typical. And like Mm -hmm. I was talking about with Take Care of Maya, I think what got me the most about this one is just the way that the story is told, the way that it's put together. It is not like any other biography of a person that I've ever seen. It's not a like this happened and then this happened and then I made this movie and then this happened. I like the way that it's it's shown visually too, with him like packing up his house his and all life, yeah. his whole life, like all the memorabilia and stuff from all of his movies and stuff. As he's reflecting back on his life and the characters that he's played and how it's had an effect on him as a person, and just like what he's learned about himself, and that's just so much more fascinating and intriguing to me than just you know I, I did this and then I did this and then I did this and it's just that's very yeah. typical. It's very it's I don't know there was that's what the Arnold documentary was and like it was fine, yeah. but. It's also think, very sort of self-congratulatory. Yeah, this isn't at all. It, yeah, I found this one so honest and vulnerable. Yeah. And he was like, I've messed up a lot of things. I've got a lot of regrets. He's not glossing over any of the pain. And I feel like the Schwarzenegger documentary, all it did was gloss over the pain. <laughs> He was not as vulnerable. Like, yeah. And the thing thing is, it was just like, I'm a self-made man. And Stallone, it felt more like, no, I needed all these other people to get where I am. Yeah. That's what it felt like Even though me. he's and, very and, self-made, I mean, too. I love, I love, he is, he is, yeah. absolutely he is. And But the thing is, he looks back and says, I wish I had um, involved my family more. I wish oh, I, yeah. some of the mm-hmm. things that he says are just like, now, and I'm not trying to knock Schwarzenegger, but I think he's not as honest with himself as he thinks he's being in that documentary. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think the Arnold 
documentary is good. I just found this one to be raw. And yeah. I think I appreciated that. And it was it's ironic because he's he admits to his whole, you know, need to have happy endings in movies. No, but I loved that. <laughs> and I thought the way that, that he ends this documentary kind is of a beautiful kind of, thing to do. Yeah. It's kind of perfect. And he's just like I forget what part of what he's talking about exactly at the moment, but he's like, well, you know, I just, you know, I don't like sad endings. And then the documentary just ends <laughs> and it's yeah. so perfect. Some of my favorite parts too were him listening to himself, like old interviews yeah. that he's given and like trying to redo them. He's like, come on, say, say that this movie was about love and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, just, I love Rocky. that. When you talk about Rocky. It's, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a love story. Say it. It's, it's a, a love story. Love story. <laughs> yeah. It's so sweet. <laughs> love that part and there are some like reviews and stuff i was reading i don't know if people were being serious about it it was like what they didn't talk about this movie or this movie it's like if you're if you're looking for him to get like i said go movie by movie and talk about everything like he Watch only talks palma that's yeah. a great movie yeah you know, <laughs> that's a different thing he really yeah. only talks about like maybe five four or five of his movies like really in depth because that's not what this is about that's not what he's trying to say or the the story that he's trying to tell about his own life is not just this movie and that movie it's it's really about like i said like his what he has learned from the characters that he's played and created and like how they have affected his life and yes he's very real and honest and yeah i'm definitely a sly person I always considered myself a Schwarzenegger fan when I was growing up, but I tell you what, recently, like over the past few years, I think I've become more of a Stallone person. Uh, I just find him to be such an interesting actor, but the personality behind that is so fascinating too, because so much of it was based on trying to compete with Schwarzenegger. Right. Um, you know, and it's just... <laughs> Which they, this, they even did that by making documentaries in the same that. year, <laughs> too. I know, I know. And they're <laughs> talking hilarious. about it. but And they both address the issue. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting, too. This is one that kind of got to me, maybe like me getting a little bit older, and, you know, some of the things that he was saying about, yeah, reflecting on life. I was like... There's some hard truths that he gets to that uh, kind of made me think about my own life. So this one kind of got to me. Yeah, I really like this one a lot, too. Okay, so number two is a double feature. How do you end this? One of them you might have heard of. The other (laughs) one um, is this little movie about a little guy. I don't know. Okay, so this is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. This movie does not need my help. People have probably heard of this one. It made almost a billion dollars at the box office which is shocking considering it's a period piece biopic that's three hours long (laughs) and half of it's in black and white and it's r-rated but i remember walking out of it thinking to myself you know this is one of those movies where i just have to admit it's a masterpiece it's probably christopher nolan's best movie And I'm not a huge Nolan apologist. I think some of his movies are great and some of them are like, eh, it's fine. I think I still love (laughs) Memento the best, maybe Prestige. Um, The Prestige is like one of my favorites. Yeah. 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 But I mean, at the same time, I was kind of like, oh, Dunkirk was good. Interstellar, whatever. I've seen 2001. 
But this movie, I think, really gets into sort of the soul of a person in a really fascinating way. Not only J. Robert Oppenheimer, but also the part that um, Robert Downey Jr. plays, uh, Louis Strauss. It's, it's spelled like Strauss, but he pronounces it Strauss. Also, um, Emily Blunt as Kitty Oppenheimer, uh, Florence Pugh as his mistress at one point. It's it's interesting structurally, too, because it's built... I, I think of it as a crossroads, this movie. What you would think of as being the climax of the movie, the test of the bomb itself, happens about halfway through. There's what leads up to it and then the consequences. And it's sort of uh, structured around these two hearings about the creation of the bomb and then discussions of the hydrogen bomb. Like I said, it doesn't need my help. It, it It's very well known. And one of the biggest hits of the year. The only movie that made more was Barbie. Um, <laughs> you know, the whole Barbenheimer phenomenon, I think, really helped this movie. Because people are like, oh, I'm going to do this double feature because it's crazy. And then they actually went and went, oh, those are both pretty damn good. <laughs> you know, um, I think that's what happened. Yeah, I, I was just really impressed with it. And I doubled it with a movie about... One of our longest-running series in film history, <laughs> almost 40 movies in this series, uh, Godzilla Minus One. Which is higher on my list. <laughs> so let's talk about that when we get to that. Okay. okay. <laughs> right. Well, Nakashan, I'm just trying to figure out your list here. Okay, so we're doing my number two? Yeah. Okay, then my number two is the best exorcist movie of the year <laughs> exorcist believer no, and that is the pope's exorcist <laughs> i knew it was going to be on your list i knew it I, I i knew immediately what my top two were because they were the ones i had the most fun with my reactions while i was watching the movies i was like okay yeah, I love these. This is way, way up there. We've already, like, we already talked about this at the beginning of the year, but this was the so biggest much surprise. Fun. So, so surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I did not expect anything from it. And when you said, I was like, oh, this is actually pretty dope. <laughs> I was, I decided to give it a try. And it is so much more fun, funny. And it's a weird little mesh of it gets all the like the exorcist stuff right, even though it's the same kind of stuff that you would expect from an exorcist movie from like a demon possession movie. But somehow I think the the characters that mm -hmm. Russell Crowe and the other guy who plays the, the other priest, the, <laughs> whatever their names are, sorry, an old priest and a young priest. Yeah. yeah. Uh. <laughs> They're so much different and so much more likable and relatable than you would expect. And they, they bring a lot of humor and personality to the movie while still keeping it. It's it's still dark and it's still got a really interesting story, like beyond just like a basic, like this person is possessed and we have to get rid of the demon thing. There's like a whole historical element to it that's really interesting. It's it's so much. I had a blast with this movie so much more than I, I ever thought oh, I would. Yeah. And uh, as soon as it popped up on Netflix, I watched it again. Uh, I loved this one. I loved, loved, loved it. I'm glad you uh, said something and well, kind of pushed me to watch I, it sooner than I probably would have. 
I did a double feature of this one with Renfield, and I expected Renfield was going to be my bag. That was going to be the one that I was really excited about. I was like, oh, I'll see the Pope's Exorcist. Why not? And I saw Pope's Exorcist first and was like, that was so much better than I ever could have expected it to be. Uh-huh. It's funny, and Russell Crowe is... He's just on another level in this movie, and I he's think having he's, so much fun. That's the thing. I mean, riding around on that Vespa, something about all of this just is like this is exactly wonderful. I mean, it is. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not particularly scary. No, but I think it's interesting. You know how he's dealing between how he deals with the bureaucracy and then actually dealing with individuals and and the things like that is really. Well done. Um, I love that Franco Nero is oh, the Pope. How could I forget Franco Nero is the Pope? Yeah. Yeah. Pope Django the first. Amazing. Um, but it's so charming and funny and, you know, great sort of horror yarn. Um, mm-hmm. And when at the end they said they could make a hundred more of these, I'm like, yes, I want that. Please do. And I hope that they make at least a few more. <laughs> I doubt they'll make a hundred <laughs> of them, but uh, this Technically was... they could. Yeah, they With could. The story. Technically speaking. <laughs> um, but And people are like, oh, it's just, except for Russell Crowe, it's just sort of a typical exercise. It, it doesn't it's, do that, though. It does. It's some, not. It goes on some tangents and goes in different places that are kind of like, oh, there's something historical going on here, too, that's not just this moment. And I think that was really yeah. wonderful. And I'm so glad that I ended up seeing this. I liked Renfield fine, but this was the movie of the day uh, when I went and saw it. And yeah, I think people have underrated this movie. Absolutely. Uh, But it was one of the most... One of the, no, not at all. One of the biggest <laughs> surprises of the year. This and Sisu yeah. were both just huge sh- surprises. I did not expect a lot, and I came out like, that's fantastic. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I think When Evil Lurks is probably the best, like, possession movie of the year, but this is the best exorcist movie <laughs> by far, and there have been a few. Okay, number one. I yes. had a feeling your number one was your number one. Am I that predictable? I'm sorry. No, you're not. But I just had a feeling. It's like your big chonky boy. Um, my big chonky boy. Yeah. This is your number one, though. My okay. number one uh, is Alexander Payne's The Holdovers. Oh, okay. Wow. This one, again, I, it kind of snuck up on me while I was watching it because it has such a simple premise. You know, you have like a prep school, you know, like a boarding school in the Northeast like they feed into Harvard, you know, that kind of a school. And you have a curmudgeonly professor that no one really likes, but is like really good at what he does, uh, played by Paul Giamatti in a stunning performance. And he's in charge of all of the kids who don't get to go home for the holidays. They call them the holdovers because, you know, they don't get to go back home during Christmas. And so it's 1970 is when it's set and it's him. It's a group of like four or five boys at first. And uh, the cook played by Divine Joy Randolph, who is terrific. Her name is Mary Lamb. And what it does is it's just this idea of look closer, I guess, you know, to, to see what's beneath the surface, why these things are the way they are. Dominic Sessa as Angus Tully is ends up being the only kid who gets left after a certain point. And so they 
have these uh, kind of breakthroughs <laughs> as just Jimati's character thinks he's just sort of a spoiled brat. And then Angus thinks he's an asshole, you know, and they just learn a lot about each other through the course of the film. The Mary Lamb character is really interesting as well because her son was was killed in Vietnam. And so she's grieving her first Christmas without her son. It's a very, very powerful movie. It sort of feels like a uh, Hal Ashby film, Last Detail or something like that. It gets a lot of comparisons mm-hmm. with this one. I like The Last Detail. I love The Last Detail. Alexander Payne said something like they... It's not that they set out to make a 70s film. It's that they set about to make a movie using choices that would be made in the 70s. It's it's never saccharine, but it's emotional. You really feel for these people and ultimately the kinds of things they end up doing for each other, especially these three central characters of Paul, the teacher, uh, Angus and Mary. It, it really is a, a, a kind of wonderful movie. And I love, obviously, I love 70s movies. They seem to always end up being all over my discoveries lists. But this is really something. And I kind of can't wait to see it again. I can imagine this one being sort of a holiday staple, one that I come to a lot. It has some of the best insults ever put on screen. <laughs> I really hope this maybe kind of gets Giamatti sort of back in the attention of, of uh, filmmakers and stuff because he's just one of our great actors right now. And I just love him in this. Like Past Lives, it's sort of hard to say what it's about because it's just about people and it's people. just about how they interact and how you don't really know a person until you really have the opportunity to spend time with them and talk yeah to them. <laughs> when it comes down to it yeah sure. like there's this whole thing about how he smells bad but then you learn why and it's it's like oh so it's not his fault and it's 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 all very right. fascinating how it is all played out and there's a some really very comedic scenes like there's this part where the the kid angus um dislocates his shoulder that's actually really funny i know it doesn't sound that way but it is actually really (laughs) funny um but but there's discussions of like racial things going on in 1970 um the fact that mary's son was killed in vietnam even though he went to the same school as all these other white boys uh he got sent to vietnam and didn't have the same opportunities as the rich parents of these other kids that go to this school. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. I just love this one. Just love it. seems like everybody else who's seen it has had the same kind of reaction where they been very surprised at how much it affected them. That's what I've seen from um, people online. And this sounds like something that is kind of my thing too. Kind of sounds like just a lot of characters together and one location talking interacting i love that kind of stuff that can be some of the most fascinating stuff in movies to me this sounds right up my alley too okay number one (laughs) now my number one um is yeah obviously no surprise uh at all i knew that it was my favorite movie of the year like within five minutes of it it starting and when the uh, main character first appears on screen 
Um, I was just like a little child watching this movie and it brought me so much joy. My favorite movie of the year is Godzilla minus one. Yep. <laughs> okay. So I'm, all, I'm, I'm a new Godzilla fan. Only seen Godzilla movies uh, for the first time like two years ago. I think it was the beginning of uh, 2021 that we did that episode. And that so was your I'm first about, Godzilla movie, That right? was the first Godzilla movie, yeah. And so I'm about um, 70 years late to the party. I've only been alive for almost 40, but, you know, still. Uh, I'm here now, and I fell in love with Godzilla. This was the first one I got to see on the big screen. And, my God, like, what a picture, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> literally. Um Every time Godzilla was on the screen, I, like I said, I was just like a, a little kid, so excited and happy. Like my eyes just lit up. We talked about this uh, just last night um, with with Mike, um, just the design, the design of him and the effects and the way like certain moments that you you're kind of waiting for in a godzilla movie when you see him like when he first that the heat ray first um starts right. and you're just like ah yes this is so cool <laughs> all of that stuff got me so excited all of the nods because this movie was made as like um for the 70th anniversary of of godzilla so there's a lot of nods to the original movie Including like parts when um, the original score would kick in. If someone, what a moment! What I know, <laughs> it was like me and two other people in the theater. Like if anybody hadn't been like watching me watch the movie, they would have thought I was such a dork because I was having so much fun. I was nerding out over every little thing. So that's the Godzilla part, which is amazing. And then like they make the human part of the story just as compelling. Little Akiko is probably my favorite character of, like, of any movie of like the whole year. I was like obsessed with this little girl. She's so cute and so sweet, oh, and yeah. she she brings so much heart to the movie. Um, the whole like found family thing with the main character um, Koichi and Nariko and Akiko. Um, we've talked about that before. That's something that I absolutely love in movies to see, and then. Uh, the found family with um, the the guys that he takes a job out on the minesweeping job on the boat. Basically, this movie was just kind of perfect. Like I had no yeah. issues with literally anything. Everything worked so well for me. It's just it's it's a fantastic movie. It's like the best Godzilla movie. I'm just gonna say it. I'll just say it's yeah. the best one. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it, for for me, I I think my affection for the for Gojira, the '54 version, is up there but yeah these these two they're both just so great i yeah i haven't seen one that got me this excited mm -hmm. in a while it has so many moments that are just like they give you what you want but then they also kind of give you what you didn't know you wanted uh and i love that about it if this introduces a new group of people to godzilla what a great way to start i mean Seriously, yeah <laughs> you know I mean, uh, it's all going to be downhill from here because this is so good. But no, well, Godzilla is still fun no matter what. I think no matter maybe, what the movie is, <laughs> maybe with uh, a sequel, uh, this same group of filmmakers could expand mm -hmm. on these ideas without having to be sort of beholden to what came before as much. They might be able to do some things that are really creative and interesting, too. I think that would be exciting. 
but we'll see who knows it sounds it's, like it's gonna happen it seems like with the other one yeah it seems like with the end of this movie too that there is some stuff that they could build on absolutely yeah. for a sequel something new um in the franchise that you haven't seen before like yeah there's something so about godzilla, godzilla that is godzilla just <laughs> minus one is it gonna be godzilla zero is the next one that's the one thing I don't get. I don't know why it's called Godzilla minus one. I don't get that. I, that <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. Cause I thought, Oh, is this like the year before the original movie or something like that? But then that didn't, wouldn't make any sense either. No, but you know, cause this movie kind of spans a couple of years. It does. So yeah. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> But anyway, I'd love to see this one again. I mean, I, and if you get a chance to see this theatrically, yes, definitely do it. that up. I know it's probably going to be out of theaters by the time this episode goes live, but hey, it's well worth it's and it's not like it's a three hour movie. It's a, it's not, but um, no. it's a good two hours joyride and but it deals with some really serious yeah. elements as well. I put it at, at number two for a reason. I love the, and you know, I know it's a cheat, <laughs> but I also think this really is a great pairing with Oppenheimer because you do see, you know, one of the, I think, unfounded criticisms of Oppenheimer's, you don't see the destruction. Well, he didn't see the destruction. So here you see the destruction, you know, here you see the effect that the atom bomb had not just physically on an environment, but also on the psyche of the Japanese people. And I think that mm. is really a compelling reason to pair these together. Sure. I know it'd be a long haul to watch Oppenheimer <laughs> and then Godzilla, but you know what? If you've got some time, might be worth a try. Sounds like a good double. Yeah, there's okay. something about Godzilla that just makes me a little kid, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I was very happy to get to see this on the big screen especially and to get to have that kind of experience with a movie where i was genuinely enjoying the experience of watching it you know that was that was kind of the first time like with the pope's exorcist and sisu movies like that were kind of the same way but this was just like pure cinematic joy (laughs) the whole time so um yeah absolutely so this absolutely had to be my my number one my favorite movie of the year well, excellent. Yeah. All right. So let's do a couple of ones that didn't quite make the list. Couple. Yeah. So I've got, <laughs> uh, I only have a handful here. Uh, we already talked about When Evil Lurks, uh, which I swapped out at the last second. Mm-hmm. Um, then a Dream Scenario starring Nicolas Cage. Uh, interesting movie. Uh, I expected it to be. It, don't get me wrong. It's very funny, but there, I expected it to be totally different than it is. It's a, a, a little bit more serious in a good way than, than I expected to be. I really liked it, though. I thought the ending was particularly powerful, and it tied into one of my other discoveries of the year. Mm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. <laughs> uh, surprising. Spider-Verse got a lot of attention, as it should. Good movie. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it's fun, of course, because it's sort of always been a slight parody of comic book movies and stuff. But this one is uh, really well made. I love the animation in it. Air, the one about the making of the shoe. Uh, The one about uh, the Air Jordans. Surprising how good this is. Uh, I would encourage people to check it out. Uh, Directed by Ben Affleck, uh, starring Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Jason Bateman. 
Viola Davis. Lots of people. Really, really uh, surprising movie. Uh, I saw just this last weekend, I saw Eileen, which is a strange movie. I think I would enjoy it more on a second watch. It takes a turn that was so surprising that it was jarring. Tonally, it felt like you were just shifting into a completely different universe. So I don't know exactly how I feel about that one, but I think it's worth a mention. And people are going to probably think I'm crazy for even mentioning this one. But uh, Strays, (laughs) it's sort of like the incredible journey by way of super raunchy comedies, (laughs) a quest by Will Ferrell as a dog, Reggie, to make his way back to his owner who has abused him and bite his dick off. Um, It is... I didn't know that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because when they show the preview on Peacock, usually they'll just put the title of the movie. With Strays, they say R-rated on it because <laughs> I think people might think that it's a kid's movie. Sure. It ain't a kid's movie at all. Right. I went and saw this with Aiden and I think this might be one of his favorite movies of the year. He <laughs> loved this so much. Okay, so he's 13. So if you can get into a 13-year-old boy mentality... You might like this one. It's kind of fun. I wasn't so sure about that one. Again, with like I don't have any clue if you responding like that at all to a certain kind if, of comedy. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that one, but I've never <laughs> we'll really see. recommended that one to you because I wasn't sure. <laughs> I'm not sure either. I'd have to see it for myself. <laughs> yeah. For my discards, um, like I said, Sisu just kind of got edged out. Um, I did love Barbie. Like yeah. you said, with Oppenheimer, though, Barbie does not need my help. So yeah. <laughs> being popular, getting getting noticed or whatever. So I, but I did love it. Um, Cobweb. Oh, yeah. Another that's a good choice. Yeah. Another uh, really well made, um, heart. much better than Talk to Me, which was good, but I don't know. There was something a little bit more interesting to me about about Cobweb yeah. than than that one. I'm with you on that. I was kind of met on Talk to Me. Yeah, Meg Two was so dumb, so yes. fun, and I loved it. <laughs> you know what? When Jason Statham kicks that dude into the shark's mouth and says, see you later, chum. I was just like, okay, this movie's brilliant. This is... I was like, this is the dumbest, most genius movie I've ever seen. Yeah. I am, I love this. Yeah. yeah. I was kind of feeling like you this year. I was watching some more like religious type um, horror films. So you've influenced me in that way. I really enjoyed um, Consecration. I know you didn't like that I, one yeah, as much. It didn't do much for me. That one worked for me. There's another one I also watched on Netflix called Sister Death. I kind of recommend that. Um, right. I've been meaning to check that out, but I haven't. In terms of like funny, um, really good comedies that I enjoyed that... Again, I don't. I don't know. They. I, I. I liked them, but I didn't. I didn't love them as much as the other ones on the list. I. I loved. Um. Totally killer, was a blast. Another one of those where it's like that's kind of what I needed to watch that time. Very reminiscent of the final girls, 
but still kind of doing its own thing. Um, Bottoms also was another one that was, (laughs) that was not what I was expecting. It was like very off kilter, like quirky in a way that uh, some of it felt a little wrong. It felt a little off, but it it worked. I don't know. Like that's just what what happens in the way that the characters like deal with um, certain situations. I was like, this doesn't feel, it feels like a little like strange reality, but I really enjoyed that one. It was a lot of fun. Um, there's another interesting one that I caught on Netflix that I, I it kind of it was hard to pick between this one and Alice Darling as my like one to highlight. There's um, one called Fair Play that I watched on Netflix, and it's a really simple but like super interesting, again just like character study um, story about like these uh, young couple who are both work in like the financial district and it's one where like one of them becomes more successful than the other and the complications that um, arise between the two of them and that it was just it was really interesting the way that it played out again just like something really simple but very effective and yeah there's a lot to to look into with that one i had a lot of fun with um murder mystery too <laughs> which i haven't seen either of those, but yeah they're just another like kind of big dumb fun kinds of, of movies with fun, yeah yeah mm-hmm. adam sandler and jennifer aniston um they're they are very enjoyable to me um and me being like the Resident Evil uh, video game kind of nerd that I am, um, one thing that they've been doing like ever not as often as they should, but there are these really great like um, animated films that will come out in the Resident Evil franchise. And one that came out this year was Resident Evil Death Island. Um, very cool. Very cool. I enjoyed that one very much. I still um, haven't seen a single Resident Evil. I know movie. you haven't. <laughs> I almost want to say that you should see like the <laughs> the animated ones that are so much they're basically the games in like a movie form. So they're a lot more um faithful to like what the story of the games are than the movies so i would almost recommend those more than than the actual movies but i still love the first resident evil film so you should check that out um it took me a long time before i finally got to see last voyage of the demeter (laughs) because it was so expensive for so long and it was great but i don't know something kind of felt a little bit flat about it there's something about the bookends that don't work for me yeah i I like the central section of the movie when they're on the ship it's so cool it's got it's a movie it's got teeth too because there are certain people that don't make it even though like that's basically what the story is that you kind of wouldn't expect you know the setting on the on the ship was really cool and the effects and yeah it's very like visually very cool movie and um i had a lot of fun with five nights at freddy's that's another one that was uh, i was expecting it to be a little more like tween ish like the, yeah. the story the story of like the the ghosts and stuff yeah. <laughs> was a lot darker than i was expecting so it kind yeah. of appealed to me more uh, in that way and it's actually a it's a really cool, like colorful, like fun. I had a lot of fun with that one. Actually, yeah, I like so. that one too. I took my boys to see that, and they they enjoyed it as well. There's a lot of good movies. The Haunting in Venice was cool, but eh. <laughs> that one yeah, it didn't do a lot for me. Saw X was also very surprising too. I was surprised by that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, you don't expect like 
the, the tenth, the tenth installment yeah. to be. It kind of goes back to One of the, the, the Saw ones, Roots. Yeah, yeah it's, it does. It goes back to the original Saw Roots, and it's uh, it's a be- lot better for that. This one was actually good. It is good. It is good. I I liked it more than I expected to, to be honest. All right. All right. Are we done? I think so. Uh, so those are our favorites of 2023 for our next episode. We'll be looking at our discoveries of the year. So movies that came out in years besides 2023 that we watched for the first time this year. That one's a lot harder for me to narrow down. Yes. (laughs) I think I've got it, but it could, could change last minute. All right. Well, this is always fun. I really like doing these episodes. And Me too. Even though you know, I have editing responsibilities on these episodes. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. And yeah. we hope you'll join us for another year here on Movies for Life. Hey, maybe we'll get to episode 100 this year. We should. <laughs> Four years later. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. Technically, we probably are at around 100. We've had some bonuses that are not numbered. That's true. Okay, so you can uh, find us in the usual places online. I'm at BrianWaves42. I'm at Michelle Egan. And the show's at Movie Life Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow us there. Give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., etc., etc. Yes, please. Yes, please, and thank you. Anyway, what are we going to do? We will see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.